0: This is Daniel Figel, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast, where non-technical professionals tune in to stay ahead of the AI curve. If you don't plan on learning to write Python, but you do want to be able to steer AI projects to success, help to contribute to AI strategies, and identify fruitful AI projects, you found yourself in the right place. Today, we're talking about a very large industry known as financial services, which we talked about many times on the show, and we're talking about a topic of particular concern to that industry. According to CorporateComplianceInsights.com, banks worldwide amassed something akin to $15 billion in fines in 2020. So compliance and regulation are top of mind for banks everywhere. And there are so many manual workflows involved in compliance, there is rife opportunity for artificial intelligence. Our guest this week is Ed Darchimbeau. He is co-founder and CTO of Keeley Technologies based in Paris, France. He has previously worked with large financial institutions like BNP Paribas, who he speaks about in this episode. In this episode, we talk about two topics of particular interest to FinServe folks, but with a lot of transferable lessons to people in other industries. Number one, we talk about some of the paperwork-heavy processes in compliance, and how AI can actually fix those workflows. So a bit of a before and after picture, which is something we like to do here on the show, make it very visual and understandable, even though it's an audio format, to understand those workflows. So being able to see one more way that AI can add value is one of the learnings from today's episode. The bigger picture is around data-centric AI and what it looks like to actually put that in action. At the very end of this episode, Ed talks about how subject matter experts will be the future data scientists, and how having an approach to AI that... Allows those folks to contribute their expertise, he believes to be critical to the future of democratizing the technology and winning long term adoption in FinServe and elsewhere. So, no matter what industry you're in, getting a sense of what will make these tools more accessible, I think, will be a useful takeaway. And again, getting an up close and personal look at a particularly valuable use case that essentially everyone in FinServe is focused on is another good takeaway from this particular episode. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Keely Technologies. If you're interested in learning more about Emerge's sponsored content, and the ability to reach our global executive audience in Western Europe and North America. Stay tuned to the end of this episode, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. But without further ado, let's fly into the episode. This is Ed with Keeley Technology here in the AI and Business Podcast. So, Ed, welcome to the program. Thanks for being with us.
1: Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, we're going to be diving in on the compliance and banking space, a space that is hot and many of our listeners care a good deal about. But I wanted to touch a little bit on some of your background because we're going to talk about the workflow that you guys impact in terms of kind of document processing for compliance, which is a very, very big part of that process, and how you ran into that problem because you actually worked in finance. You're not just a guy with a bunch of academic degrees. You've actually worked in the field. Talk a little bit about how your background informed your understanding of this problem.
1: Okay, so, um, I, so my background was, was in fact, mostly in, uh, in applied mathematics and computer science, and then I specialized in machine learning. I worked during uh, many years uh, in uh, algorithmic trading, so working for banks and, uh, and hedge funds. Yes. And for the little story, my first experience was at Lehman Brothers, uh, right before the bankruptcy. Oh, wow. Okay, that's, yeah, that's, that's a
0: learning experience, huh?
1: Yeah, 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 indeed. It was, uh, <laughs> was uh, super weird. And. And in 2015, when the unstructured data topics started to emerge, I got appointed by BNP Paribas, the leading uh, European bank, uh, to create their AI lab. Um, And so the idea was for them to be able to process their unstructured data. What they realized at that time is that they were experts in uh, processing the structured data. So everything was in an Excel Excel spreadsheet. But 80% of the data in the bank was unstructured. So in emails, feed of news, contracts, phone call records, and so, on, and so on, and so forth. And they were unable to process it. The APIs on the cloud, on the cloud uh, were not specialized enough. Uh, for instance, if you use a special text uh, from uh, uh, Google uh, on the uh, header's conversations, you have an error rate of uh, more than uh, 50%. Yeah. And so it doesn't work. And so... So the the goal of the team was to equip the bank uh, with its own models to be able to process this this data. And one of the uh, major uh, fields of application uh, was compliance because it's full of unstructured data. It's uh, full of contracts, emails, uh, document processing. And so the way we did it was to, so we had access to massive amount of raw data. But the data was not labeled, so we were unable to train our own models. Uh, so at that time, we created. Yeah. So there was no labeling platform market. So we created a small one internally. It unlocked a lot of topics. In three years, the team went from just two people uh, to 50 people, and we handled uh, hundreds of use cases across the group, and most of them in in uh, companies.
0: Got it. And this is with. Parabus? Correct, yes. It's got it, to got it. Okay, got it. Okay, yeah. Yep. So Lehman is obviously a very substantial firm, and obviously Parabus is similarly, you know, global financial services organization. So big company, and it sounds like this AI lab scaled pretty quickly. Compliance was a big part of that experience. And so you got close to this problem. I'd love to, if we could, Ed, talk a little bit about kind of the nitty-gritty of the paperwork processing and the document processing that has to happen in compliance. What kinds of documents are we talking about in this particular example? Because there are so many, right? Compliance is actually almost like an, an unlimited space of, of workflows. But what are the kinds of, I guess, documents where you folks are focused and how are they being processed today? And also, wh- why is that less than ideal from a business standpoint? Walk us a little bit through the, the state of uh, document processing and compliance now.
1: So, um- uh, many documents and many use cases in compliance so compliance is about preventing uh, tax evasion uh, money laundering uh, staying out of uh, activities that are not in line uh, with the ethics and policy of the bank so maybe two use cases one of them is uh, i mean one area is QIC. kyc the idea in kyc is to so when you onboard a new customer also for existing customers you need to gather and to validate information about them and so for instance for individuals you need to validate information coming from proof of identity, a tax notice, a proof of residence. So to extract the first name, the last name, and to cross-check the information. Uh, same thing for legal entities, but we all, with other kind of documents uh, like extract of trader register of activity, and so on and so forth. Uh, other use case, another kind of use case is uh, is to do list screening. So when you sign a contract, you need to make hmm. sure that the people you are dealing with are not terrorists. And so you need to match the different entities that you find in documents, so individuals and uh, legal entities, with internal and external watch lists, uh, sanction list politi- politically exposed uh, person, yes. um, stuff like this. And so you need to do this in a, a huge variety of documents, such as application forms, uh, bills of exchange, uh, certificates of origin. Yep, yep. And so it's, it's, super, it's super complicated. And it's super yeah. complicated for different reasons. Because of the variety of the documents. Because of the variety of the, the entities that you need to extract. Yeah. Because of the variety of the regulation. And the regulation is reinforced regularly. And so it's evolving. And it's, it's, it's complicated. And the way it's done today is outdated. Either it's done manually. So... People print contracts, and they use a stabilo, and they read the contract and the underlying entities, and then they uh, manually type the name of the entities in a search engine to match against the watch list. But of course, it's inefficient because it's completely man- manually done. You do mistakes. Uh, yes, because humans yes. are
0: Human error, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, not good as uh, super smart, but not good at doing uh, systematic things. And sometimes some processes are uh, automatized, but rule based and it's it's not scalable. Uh, So for instance, if I uh, tell you, I heard that uh, Paris Hilton stayed at the Hilton in Paris. It's super complicated based on rules to make the difference between Paris Hilton and the Hilton and the city Paris.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's also, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so you need a, a change of paradigm to, to tackle
0: those use cases. Yeah, and, and clearly, also, tell me if I'm wrong here, but having done a bajillion interviews on the compliance base, there's also an unlimited number of new ways that people can get past the rules. So, if, if it's a rules based system of how we determine if somebody's a terrorist or not, eventually people potentially could figure out kind of how to weave around those rules. So we need to detect new anomalies, detect new problems, because we're not dealing with a static state space, we're dealing with an active adversary. So it feels like that is also one of the bigger reasons that the rule systems really are not, are not going to be the basis of kind of where the future of these processes head. But let me know your thoughts about that.
1: Exactly. You're you you super correct. Defining rules is super difficult because you need to take into account a lot of, of contexts and you need to um, make those rules evolve and when it's rule-based it's super complex to maintain and we we can do a comparison with what was done for google translate google translate a few years ago was uh, rule rule-based and it was made of uh, more than 500 thousands of lines of code. Yeah. So very difficult to maintain. Today, it's a deep learning base and it's just 500 lines of code. So three orders of magnitude smaller. And so it, it completely changed both the performance of the model and its maintainability.
0: Got it. So clearly, there is an analogy here for where the future of banking is headed as well. So we've talked a little bit about KYC, and there's a lot to explore under that hood. Is there another compliance use case you want to touch on before we swivel over to talk about how AI can potentially improve some of these workflows? Or do we just want to move over to the AI part?
1: So, yes, we talked about uh, QIC. Yep. We talked about list screening. So screening yes. yep, contracts yep, yep, yep. and matching them against the sanction uh, lists. Yep. You also have uh, um, transaction monitoring. So making sure that there is no money laundering uh, when people uh, uh, do transfer, uh, transfer money between, between banks. Yes. To be a bit more, more general, you, you have three kind of use cases in compliance. You have tasks that you need to automate uh, because they are repetitive and so painful and error prone. And for instance, contract screening is one of them. You have tasks that are superhuman. So to be achieved by a human. So for instance, a transaction monitoring, you cannot monitor manually all the transactions. And the third kind of, of tasks is tasks that with AI, uh, you can do better because you can cross a different source of information. And so for instance, when you do QIC, you can cross information coming from a lot of documents and you can achieve thanks to Linking those information much better.
0: Got it. Okay. So, this sort of categories in terms of areas of improvement here. I'd like to, for the audience, if we could, it's, a couple of things were pretty clear from your initial explanation. I'm going to try to put it in a nutshell and then we're going to move to the next section. A few things. The process for even just KYC and, and what you'd mentioned about kind of validating those lists also sounds very KYC like, right? We're looking at lists of people we don't want to do business with ultimately we are knowing our customer in some way shape or form if we're if we're seeing is our customer a terrorist or not or or a group that we don't want to do business with a few things jumped out here number 1 as you'd mentioned there's so many kinds of documents number 2 that there's so many kinds of processes people have to deal with in terms of these documents and then also the regulatory environment is changing so quickly that it makes it very very hard for humans to kind of have to rethink and manually search for every name on every form that's there, so that that feels like a compelling case. I'm sure many people in FinServe or who deal with compliance in other industries will be able to relate to that. Talk a little bit about where AI fits into that workflow. We could maybe begin with KYC, but I'd love to talk about where AI fits into the workflow to help some of these analysts to do a little bit less of this manual googling, which sounds very ten years ago in terms of a process. Walk us through a bit of that, if you could.
1: So AI helps because thanks to deep learning, so basically rule-based doesn't work because it's because of the viability of the data, the, the regulation and the entities. And so what works is uh, having, so training neural networks and the, and the way, and so to tackle uh, those use cases, when you have a deep learning approach, what you need is to have enough uh, training data, uh, to have good quality training data and to have diverse enough training data. So the challenge is not anymore in writing the code, but in finding the training data. And so huh. why? Because AI is made of code and data. Code is the easy part You find. You, you, you just use some models that you find on the the hub of uh, Hugging Face, for instance.
0: Sure, sure. And
1: the challenge becomes uh, finding, having the, the training data. And having this approach is what we name software 2.0, because the challenge becomes cleaning the use case by training a, a non-network. Yeah. And, it's, okay. Yep. And, and so the, the solution here is how to get good enough data and how to get diverse enough data.
0: Yeah. Again, you struggle with this problem at... Powerbus. And back then there were not as many tools. Now we have more tools, but it is still an issue to collect enough data and specifically to be able to label that data. Like you're saying, that's really the threshold here. If we can do that well, then we can actually solve this problem and drive some business value. Talk about how we get to that data. How do we get enough of it? And how do we label it at scale? Because sometimes that can be very manual work. And that's a lot of the reason people don't get into AI is because they don't want to do that stuff. How, how can we solve that problem of data volume and also getting the labeling right
1: so if you if you remember well a few years ago on facebook you were tagging your friends so on, on pictures and doing doing this you were labeling data for facebook yes we can do the same in banks basically on all the use cases we listed together there are people whose job is to label data but they do it on the printed papers, so the, their work and the output of their work is not recorded in data systems and is not usable to train models. Okay. And so the trick here is to put in their hands a platform um, where they can view uh, the documents and label them and do their work, their day-to-day work on the platform. And on the other side of the platform you have the data scientist that can get the label data and train a model and his model use uh, the subject matter experts the compliance officers to do their labeling job and so what you do doing this is you start building a human in the loop machine learning development process yeah 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 where you create and you enforce collaboration between the subject matter experts the machine learning engineers, the data quality engineers, the project managers, and this becomes an efficient way to develop AI. And this is what we name uh, data centric AI. And what you get when you do this is faster AI projects because you you get value from D1. From D1, the machine learning engineers collects labeled data and uh, the subject matter experts get heads from the models of the machine learning engineers. Yeah. So faster projects, better performances, because you have a collaboration between human skills of the compliance officer, of the compliance uh, operator and um, and the models. So the model is good because systematic and the human brings more context when the cases are, are, are difficult. Uh, so better models, faster projects and trustworthy models, trustworthy AI, because the way you develop your models is fully constant and data and example uh, driven. Yes, and yes. And so you control through the data and through data labeling uh, what your model uh, knows and what it doesn't know.
0: Yes. Okay. Got it. So the the answer here for data volumes and data labeling is take the processes that humans are doing already to make these critical decisions make those processes digital. So there's this ongoing constant feedback loop and allow your own smartest team members to kind of do some of this thinking. Now, when we do enough of this, Ed, you know, we get enough data volume and it's labeled in the right way. My estimate is that some of these decisions can either be made easier for human beings, or maybe they can be automated entirely. Talk a little bit about what happens once we have enough of this labeled data, so we get, we get humans in the loop, we, we make their workflow digital a little bit faster, we start using that to train an algorithm. When that algorithm is great at detecting terrorists or, or detecting fraudulent payments or whatever it is that we're detecting, how does that affect our workflows for you know, w- within the financial institution?
1: Then when, you, when your model is, is, is ready, you can productionize it, so deploy it in production. And very often, you want to keep a human supervision. Yes. Um, so basically, you won't change your workflow, but the workload of the human being will be lower. So the operator will be able to, to focus on the, the complex part of the documents, And so one part of the, of the, the document flow will be automatically labeled, and one of the parts will land in the in the hands of the human operator uh, that will uh, review, it, um, review them manually. Got it. Okay.
0: And the way that we've seen this happen sometimes, I just love your clarity on this particular use case, is that once a system is trained sufficiently, we're able to have some kind of a confidence interval on everything that comes through. So maybe for KYC, it's a confidence interval on is this a terrorist or not. Maybe if it's for you know fraudulent payments, we might be able to get a sense of, is this likely to be fraud or not? And then human beings are spending more time looking at those real risks versus you know, examining every single case with the same level of ferocity, which maybe is not the best use of your time. Is that indeed a big part of the ROI or do you like to kind of describe the way the workflow changes a little bit differently than that?
1: So the ROI is, is it's threefold. I think the the, the first one is you reduce uh, your operational risk, and this is the the most important one. So basically, as we said, humans alone they do mistakes, and those mistakes have a huge cost for uh, banks. Uh, you can just have a look at, at the list of banks that got fined every year. It's oh, yeah. in terms of uh, billions of, of dollars. Yep, yep. So you reduce your operational risk. First one. The second one is. You improve the efficiency. So, the process is the review of the documents, the document processing is, is faster. So, you get a, a better uh, customer experience. And you can also use your workforce, your people internally for more added value tasks. And the third uh, takeaway is you also reduce the risk of, of data leakage. Because if you don't print documents, print out documents anymore, if you have a fully digital process, then you reduce, uh, this. Uh, you improve your your data security as well.
0: Got it. So you're you're saying that security can be improved as part of this process. Talk a little bit about kind of how that is. I actually think that that's probably less talked about. So the efficiency that you talked about definitely is mentioned a lot in the compliance space. There's so many manual slow processes that can be sped up, and we can use human time more efficiently. The risk reduction argument is probably the biggest argument, frankly. Um, we, you know When it comes to big financial institutions, we see them very much as defensive players. They're really interested in not getting slapped by regulators. Like you said, you can go on Google, you can look at all those regulatory consequences. So that one makes a lot of sense too. But the security element, actually, I have not heard very many founders or practitioners really talk about this. How can making this process digital become even more secure?
1: So making those, those processes the processes fully um, digital, helps you to control the, the data flows and to uh, make the data flows more mature. And so this is a critical issue. Today, you can still find on some uh, compliance uh, use cases, people are having to get data out of the bank systems, send them even uh, sometimes to the cloud. Um, yeah. And this is not uh, possible. And so uh, having things fully digitalized uh, helps you to, to better control the security of your, of, your, of your data.
0: Got it. Okay. So probably, in, in my opinion, maybe an, an uh, under-examined, if not underrated, part of the ROI calculation for folks in financial services that are thinking about streamlining this. and in terms of our last question here. We've talked a bit about what these workflows look like today. And obviously, you've seen them up close and personal. So that was useful. We've definitely gotten into where AI fits in. And you've talked about kind of this paradigm of human in the loop, which some of our listeners will certainly be familiar with, of being able to put the training of the algorithm in the hands of the people that already are the smartest at this and who can continuously feed feedback into the system. Talk a little bit about where this is kind of taking us bigger picture in terms of the future of financial services. You guys obviously work on many use cases, so the document side of things and compliance is one of them, but there's many other workflows that you folks are impacting. When you think about this kind of human-in-the-loop engine of getting smarter when it comes to banking applications, what does that mean for the future of the field? What are the things that you're kind of excited about and that you think maybe leaders should know about how AI is going to affect financial services?
1: So Financial services are a big play field for, for AI, because it's full of unstructured data. So yes. 80% of, of, of the data in, in this field is unstructured um, many use cases around, uh, so I said, document processing, but also uh, phone calls processing. For instance, all the concessions of the trailers are recorded. And so needs to be processed for compliance reasons and also could be processed for uh, marketing uh, uh, reasons many use cases also for a risk department, around the news processing, many use cases also for retail banking around um, chatbots. So already a huge benefit. The thing is, you have so many use cases and few uh, talented people. Yeah. Um, you need yeah. to be able to, to scale and to do it and to ship projects uh, uh, fast enough. And so the use cases are, uh, in terms of hundreds of few cases, the good news is that thanks to data-centric AI, so having a focus on the data when you develop uh, the model and spending time not on uh, fine-tuning the hyperparameters of a neural network, but on finding and fine-tuning the right data to train your model on, you accel- you accelerate uh, the AI projects and you. Need you don't need PhDs to do this, so you can scale a lot uh, the delivery of, of AI, and so this is what we push for, and this is the reason why we we build a key. Uh, so we started with data labeling, so how yep. to uh, help our customers to create the training data necessary to build models. But what we realized is that in fact today, creating AI. Coding AI is about accumulating data, massaging this data, and labeling this data. And so, in fact, what we are creating is the development environment for the data scientists of the future. And what they do in this environment is not coding in Python, but it's manipulating data, creating models, training AI by labeling examples. And doing this, you can scale the delivery of AI because you don't need as skilled people as uh, for coding in, in Python, and you better manage uh, the complexity of, of your models because you cut them and add an uh, layer of, abs- of of abstraction above.
0: Yeah. Okay. And if I'm hearing you correctly, so and, and we've we've had a couple folks talk about this data centric AI idea. Obviously, Andrew Ng is. Pretty big in terms of pushing this as a narrative here. You believe that the future is again data scientists focus less on writing fresh Python and more on basically the feature engineering and working very hands on with the data. Do you also see this as a problem for helping folks get around that talent issue? You talked about just a moment ago how we have so many problems and use cases where where AI might be helpful. So many of these judgments and decisions and workflows that could be impacted, but really not that many folks who have very strong backgrounds in AI who could maybe do some of the technical work. Do you think that this data-centric approach, as we move forward in the years ahead, will help to maybe scale and make better use of that talent or make some of this technology more accessible to people without PhDs? I'd love to know your thoughts on that.
1: So I think that the data-centric AI will definitely make AI building available to more people and will democratize the AI development process. We can do a parallel with the the database industry, for instance, there is a difference, a huge difference between the people who create the database base. So who codes the database system and it's super complicated and very few people do this and in the same way, very few people in the future will create the model models in in Python. And on the other hand, you have a lot of people just doing uh, queries in SQL, in databases, and it will be the same in the future for AI. There will be a lot of people, a lot of analysts, so maybe not machine learning engineers, but machine learning analysts, we can name them, that will be in charge of creating the model through data labeling.
0: And so that's maybe a more accessible skill set than the kind of very hands-on linear algebra writing Python Spark code from scratch. You know, we could have analysts that can work with data, which maybe requires less specialized training. Is this the argument?
1: Correct. So with data central AI, you will be able to create uh, models without knowing how to code in Python, but just uh, by uh, labeling data. And so the training of of models, and so the the process of building AI models will be done through data labeling by subject matter uh, experts. And so the, the data scientists of the future are the subject matter experts, and so they don't. Ah. And and to do it, you don't you don't have to to to, to engage in a in applied mathematics.
0: This is the great dream here. Ever since we started the show, you know, eight years ago or something, I think the dream is that the folks who could build these systems and inform these systems are the people who actually understand the subject matter. Hopefully, with data centric AI, we'll be getting closer to that. And It's good to be able to kind of hear your thoughts and and your optimism that that might actually become the case. So hopefully for those of you in the financial services space or working on enterprise projects, those of you listening in, this view to the future is a little bit of a handy perspective on sort of where the data science function will lie and who will be involved. Ed, I know that that's all that we have for time in this episode, but I sincerely appreciate you sharing your perspective here with us on the show. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A giant thanks to Ed for being able to join us all the way from Paris. And thank you to you, our listener, for being here with us every week and tuning in for these episodes. I hope you got a lot out of today's use case and the particular takeaway around how data centric AI hits the ground running and how setting up these systems where subject matter experts can actually be the trainers in a big picture sense not just in a limited single use case sense hopefully that was helpful as well as i mentioned before this episode was sponsored by keely technology if you're interested in reaching emerges global executive audience of so folks interested in adopting artificial intelligence if you offer a b2b ai product or service you can reach us at emerj.com/ad1 on that page so ad like advertise and then the number 1 so emerj.com/ad1 on that page you'll learn more about downloading our full media kit to get a sense of all of our sponsored content offerings and demand generation services. So go to emerj.com slash ad1 if you're interested in reaching our audience. And otherwise, thank you again so much for tuning in. I look forward to catching you in the next episode here on the AI and Business Podcast.